Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Great. A couple of you are doing okay, and the rest of you are like, meh. I'm all right. Well, happy Father's Day. I hope that you've had a great Father's Day. If you're dad, if you're not a dad, I hope that you have called your dad or talked to your dad or thought about your dad or prayed for your dad or one of those things today. This is the kind of day, because it's Father's Day, that you should probably be on your guard. Because the Father's Day, big day, you should be on your guard because you should look out and just be on the lookout for, you know, dad jokes. You should just be aware that dad jokes could come at any moment at any time for example i was talking to my dad once and i said dad do trees do trees ever go to the bathroom i just was curious as a little kid i asked him like do trees ever and, and with typical dad wisdom he said well where do you think number two pencils come from <laughs> yeah see y'all are quiet today this is interesting i'm I have to come up with better dad jokes. That's just going to be a thing. I used to talk to my granddad and my grandpa, Grandpa Jensen, my mom's dad, and I'd say, when is Father's Day? And he'd say, he'd think, Father's Day, Father's Day. Oh, about nine months before Mother's Day, I suppose. That's the way he would say that. Some of you are going to have to think about that one, and you'll catch it later, and you'll be like, oh, I get it, because it's definitely, definitely a dad joke. It's definitely one of those things, and so I'm really thankful that, uh, that you're here with us today. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's where we're going to be today. We're beginning a brand new series called Love Is... And I think it's appropriate for us to begin a series like this on Father's Day. Many of you know that uh, on September 5th of last year, my father passed away. So this is an interesting Father's Day for me. It's for me and my mom and for our family. It's a first for us. Uh, this is our first Father's Day where my father, my earthly father, is experiencing it with his heavenly father in heaven. And uh, I just think about so many things that my dad taught me and and just what today is all about, and, and I, I'm, just re, I'm just reminded of just the incredible gift God gave me uh, through my dad. And my father-in-law is here today, and I'm so grateful for him, and just the, just the example that, that I have had in my life of what it means to be a great dad. And so one of these days, I hope to get to be one of them when I grow up. I hope I get to be a great dad when I grow up. And uh, I just remember one of the things my dad taught me. One of the things he said is uh, he used to remind me that competition is one of those things that may motivate me, but cooperation is, is the thing that gets the job done. And if you think about a baseball team, competition, that's what you know, makes you a World Series championship, but it's going to be the cooperation of the players on the team. The, the pitcher's not going to throw a perfect game every game, so there's going to come this moment when he throws the ball and it's going to get hit, and someone in the field is going to have to do what they do in order for the, the team to win. And then there's that individual moment when you're standing at the plate, and you've just it's an individual moment. You've just got to swing the bat. You've got to get on base. But once you're on base, you can't make it home usually by yourself. You've got to have someone who will swing the bat and push you around the bases and get you home. You have to do that. So competition may motivate you. But cooperation is really what brings you home. Cooperation is what helps you win. And so this past week, uh, one of the things that I got to experience this week, which was really remarkable, is uh, Chris and Misael and I, along with three of the members of our church council, Andy Coleman and Rob Rizzo and, uh, and Chris Kavner, we got to go to the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, we got to spend a week at a business meeting. Doesn't that sound, woo, yes, I'm so excited. I'm sure you all are excited that we did that and not you. But um, 
Uh, it's, it's really interesting being Southern Baptist. Really, the, the better way to say that is that we're Great Commission Baptists. We are, we are the Baptist people who love working together to make certain that the gospel is shared around the world. And in our 176-year history, actually in the history of the world, there's not been an organized group of people who have sent more people to the mission field to share the gospel and to share the love of, P of Jesus with people. There's not another Protestant denomination that's done more than the Southern Baptist Convention. And it really is a remarkable thing that we get to be a part of because our church, every church in the Southern Baptist Convention is completely autonomous. It means we govern ourselves. There's not some higher authority apart from God himself who's telling us as a church what our mission should be or how we should go about fulfilling that mission or the things that we should do or what we should preach or who gets to lead or who gets to serve or the music we should sing or how we should dance or not dance. You know, those kinds of things. There's not really an authority over us that tells us how to do that as, as Baptists, but there is this large number of churches, it's like 60 some odd thousand churches around the world that have said, in spite of the fact that no one really has the authority to tell me what to do, we've decided we want to cooperate together to share the gospel around the world. And so we pool our resources through something we call the cooperative program. And out of those pooled resources, we train and equip pastors and we plant churches and we help other churches revitalize. And, and we take resources like that to train up and equip missionaries and we send them all over the world and we do that all the time and it's just this really beautiful thing and there are moments when as we cooperate that we have some disagreements and I don't know if you've heard anything in the news about this particular convention leading up to this convention there's there's been some kind of tension and it's the tension that comes from somebody saying I really like to do it and say it this way but you really like to do it and say it that way and one's saying I'm right and someone else is saying I'm right and some of it has to do with the way we approach the, the issues of our day, some of the most challenging issues of our day. We just finished with a series called Imago Dei where we talked about some of those racial tensions that really challenge our culture and challenge our churches and challenge people. That's one of the issues that was at hand. The, the way people lead inside a, a church, that, that's one of the issues that's, that's at hand. Whether or not, uh, whether or not we, should, we should act in a certain way towards, towards people in our community, those are some issues that, that, are, that are kind of on the table. And if you pay attention to social media, those tensions, boy, they just look like things were, were really catching on fire, like there's really going to be a fight. And then one of the things I was just so proud of is we go to these meetings. I have a picture, but I'm not going to show it to you today. You may have seen it on my social media. There was this moment where 15,000 messengers from these cooperating churches were just in this giant room on their knees in front of their chair before God, just saying, God, we want to be your people. And, and there is room inside this incredible thing we call the Southern Baptist Convention for people who want to do it like this and for people who say they, they want to do it like that. And then we have these conversations, not as enemies or as opponents, but as brothers. And we even come out of those meetings not always agreeing with each other on everything, but we do agree on the most critical thing, that that the love of God is primary and out of his love for us, he has given us the grace of God through his son and that, that grace is what saves us and it's a message that he's entrusted to us and so now we have the privilege of sharing that message with the world here, there, and everywhere. We get to do that everywhere we go and today I believe one of the reasons why you're in this room you're in this room either because you've already 
believed and followed and latched on to that grace of God that's so powerful and you simply want to worship him for it and tell someone else about it. Either you're here because of that or you're here because there's someone who invited you in today who says, hey, I want you to know the grace and the love and the power of Jesus Christ. And, and I just think what I saw this week at the SBC is a beautiful example of how relationships work. I have another friend who says, if, if, the two, if you have two people in a room and the two of you agree on everything all the time, one of you is just not necessary. Um, and so there are these moments when we're going to disagree, but in the middle of those tensions, there's a right way to do that. And I think what I saw this week was the right way to do that. For one to stand and speak his peace, for another to stand and speak his peace, for all to come together on their knees before God and say, okay, God, how, how do you want to resolve this and, and where do you want us to go next? And then for us to rise from our feet, uh, rise from our knees, unified around this vision that God's given to us. Not because there's some authority standing over us, uh, some human authority standing over us saying you must do it this way, but because under the authority of God, all together we said, you can think that and I can think this and then we can move together to bring this vision that we would love all people to Christ and equip them on their journey with God and one another, to bring this vision to life everywhere we go. And so that's what I saw at the SBC this week. So I, I don't know if, uh, if you've been following that or not, and if you want to know more about it, Misael, or I would love to be able to tell you more about it sometime later. But it's been remarkable to see. And I do think it probably is an example of this topic that we're going to continue with. You know, there's a reason why we're stepping out of Imago Dei into a study, a short study of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, how many of you will just confess, 1 Corinthians 13, you already know what that passage is. Just raise your hand. You know what that passage is. Yeah, that's pretty good. How many of you will confess? that passage was read at your wedding. It was read at your wedding. Oh, there's a couple right there. That's right. Yeah, there's, there's one right there. Yeah. Uh, that, it's, it's very popular at weddings because 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love passage. It's where God really defines what love is and what love looks like and what love does and how it acts. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks really talking what, about what love is and how love works. And one of the things that before we read this passage is I hope that you'll recognize some things. First off, for those of you who had this read at your wedding, I'm so glad that you did. It's a beautiful passage for a wedding. But for those of you who aren't married yet, or for those of you who didn't use this at your wedding, or for those of you who are dating, or for those of you who just, you're like, uh, I'm, not, I'm already married. I've been married for 50 years. She knows I love her. I don't have to tell her anymore. You know, um, I don't know if you're that guy or not. I uh, told her once, right? You know, um, um, and so... Um, I, I want you to know that when we talk about love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're not really just talking about the wedding kind of love. We're not really just talking about the dating kind of love. We're not talking about just the physical side of love. We're talking about the kind of love that makes our last series, Imago Dei, that humanity is created in the image of God. It's what puts fuel in the tank of that idea that all of humanity was created in the image of God, and as a result of that, now there is something worthy of love in everyone you will ever see. There's something worthy of love, uh, something worthy of your love in every person that you'll ever come in contact with. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, are just an incredible passage of Scripture that helps us see the heart of who God is. It actually helps us to see his character. And here's really the big idea that I hope you'll catch, not just today, but through every message that you hear in this series. And, and it's this idea that love is a choice to share the character of God with someone else. Love is a choice 
to share the character of God with someone else. Now, I didn't put it in the points. I didn't put it in the passage uh, or in, in, in your sermon notes. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but in our church app, if you go to our church app to the Engage button there, you can see the sermon notes that we're about to teach. You can fill in the blanks. You can even email them to yourself. You can take your own notes. Actually, the idea of what it means to be a Great Commission Baptist, to be Southern Baptist, is uh, the, there's a link in this particular series of sermon notes to the Baptist faith and message that tells you just kind of this is what we believe, and there's a link to our website that tells you that as well. So I hope you'll open up the app and go to the Engage button and then find the sermon notes for, the, for this campus, for the Tulsa campus, that you'll open that up and you'll follow along with me. But one of the things I didn't put in this first point, that love is a choice to share the character of God with someone else is the last phrase that I hope you'll catch. It's a choice to share the character of God with someone else, whether they deserve it or not. Whether they deserve it or not. Now that's, uh, I'm hearing people say that's right, and I'm so grateful because you guys are helping me preach, and I want you to keep helping me preach like that. Anytime you say amen or that's right or anything like that, I love it. So talk back to me. That's good because it helps me preach. It helps. Uh, it, it, it's not just me here, the preacher in the pulpit, that's, that's going to convince you of anything. It's going to be the people in the pews that are helping sing this song with me. And so I love it. But I know that there's someone sitting in the room, as you're saying that's right, I'm, I know there's somebody in the room who's going, whether they deserve it or not, ain't no way. You don't know my dad. You may have had a great experience with your dad, Chad, but you don't know my dad. Love is a choice to share the character of God with someone else, whether they deserve it or not. Heck no. Because you don't know the experience I've had. And here's one of the things I hope. I hope not just through today's message and as we look at scripture, I hope as we go through this series, I hope that what you'll hear is not my voice. I hope you'll hear the voice of your heavenly father. And I hope that as you hear his voice, that no matter what your experience with your own father was, that he'll be able to slowly chip away at that idea of whether they deserve it or not. Because there's something God's done for me, and he's done it for you. And if we're honest, we'll recognize it. He loved me when I was unlovable. He loved me on the worst day of my life after I made the worst decision of my life. He keeps loving me, and he loves you whether you deserve it or not. So love is a choice to share the character of God with someone else, whether they deserve it or not. Nat King Cole is a famous jazz artist who used to sing, and he sang a song, and one of the lines in that song, uh, uh, Natural Born, I believe is what the name of the song was, uh, one of the lines was that the greatest thing you'll ever learn is to love and to be loved in return. I love that idea. You know, poets and prophets alike have tried to define what love is and have tried to show us what love is all about. And, and there's some ways, we've got a thousand love songs and a thousand things to tell us what love is. And in our culture, there's this really, 
weird idea of what love is. And I hope that as we look at this passage of scripture and as we talk about this throughout this series, that you'll be able to separate in your heart and your mind the difference between what the world means when it talks about love and what God means when he talks about love. Because I can tell you that the world's view of love is broken. And I can tell you that the world's view of love is limited. The world's view of love is conditional. The world's view of love will never, ever satisfy. It can't because it's not eternal. And it's not based on something glorious and it's not based on something perfect or on someone who is holy. Because love isn't a thing. Love is a relationship between two people and it begins and ends with someone who is eternal, someone who is perfect and someone who by his very nature is love and your every interaction with him is an interaction of love and so I hope you'll see that as we talk through this passage of scripture and as we read this together today let's take a look at first Corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 through 8 now one of the things we like to do in the context of a worship service like this is we like to stand in honor of the reading of God's word so let's stand together and I'll read God's word at the end of reading it I'll say this is the word of the Lord and I'd love for you to respond in worship by saying praise be to God when I say that let's read this together first Corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 through 8 it says this If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. You can have a seat there for just a second. Let's just peel this passage apart for just a moment to take a minute to recognize what love is. And, and, and as we go through this list, just recognize this isn't the list that the world would make. This is the list that God has made. And he's describing his character when he's giving you this description. And I think it's interesting that he starts with the negative first. He starts with the, hey, don't do it like this version of love. Verse one, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, without love, your best words are aggravating. (laughs) Without love, your very best words, the best thing. Have you ever had that moment when you said all the right things and it just made everybody mad? Have you done that? Without love, your best words are aggravating. In my house now, there are three drummers. I know about clanging cymbals. I have this moment because it's, we're a musical family and it's funny because we've got multiple different kinds of drums and sets and practice pads in our house. We have a marimba upstairs. Anybody want to confess you've got a marimba in your home? <laughs> yeah, and so from my, it's actually in the room that's right above my bedroom, which was a wise choice on my part. Um, 
And so a marimba is like a keyboard instrument. You, you hit it with mallets. And from my bedroom, my sons who are nocturnal at one o'clock in the morning, I can hear them banging on the marimba at one o'clock in the morning. And I can't hear the tone, so it should sound like a song, but all I hear is... One o'clock in the morning, it's a beautiful sound. Um, without love, your best words are aggravating. You can say all the right things, all the right way, but if you say it without love, it'll fall on deaf ears every time. It's really funny. It's a, it's a weird cliche, but I just think it's true. It's that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. It's cliche, but it became cliche because it's just true. You can know all kinds of stuff, and you can share it, but the longer you share it without caring for them or loving them, the more they don't, they don't care what you have to say. Look at the next, ver- or next verse, yeah. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Without love, your greatest works and your deepest convictions are meaningless. Your greatest works. You could have enough faith to, to say to a mountain, get up and move, and the mountain would move, right? Remember that verse? If I just had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, get up and move, and the mountain would move. You could do something like that, but according to 1 Corinthians 13, without that, that faith and that work is completely meaningless. The foundation for your salvation begins and ends with the love of God. Now, there were lots of steps in between there. One of those steps is for us to realize that we are lost and broken. We're broken because of our sin. We're broken because of the wrong things we've done. We're broken because of the mistakes we've made. Sometimes we do these things intentionally because we just want to hurt someone or because we've been hurt. Sometimes we do them presumptuously because we just don't know any better and we just step into the, you know, the little lie or then the little lie becomes the big lie or we just do those things, but we're broken by our sin. So certainly that's a piece of it and certainly Jesus came and he gave this ultimate sacrifice. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. He did that willingly. Catch that. That's the piece I think we miss oftentimes in the gospel. Jesus died on the cross willingly so that your salvation could be secured, so that your sin could be forgiven, so that he could take the place. He took the punishment and penalty of your sin into his life and and he was the one who was the sacrifice. And, And the thing that empowered All of that begins and ends with the love of God. Why would anyone willingly put their life on a cross to be crucified, to be tortured, to be buried? Why would anybody anybody die for someone else? Well, it begins and ends with love. Without love, your greatest works and your deepest convictions are meaningless. Look at that last part there, uh, verse three. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Without love, your biggest sacrifice is a total waste. Sacrifice, giving more than you think you can afford and trusting God to provide. Sacrifice, giving up something you love for something you love even more. You could give the biggest gift in the history of this church, and we'd say thank you. (laughs) Um, You could give the, the biggest gift in the history of this church, but if you did it without love, it would be meaningless. I've seen parents who love their kids, but it's not a godly kind of love, it's a worldly kind of love. 
It's the selfish love that comes from I'm doing something for you so that you'll do something for me. It's a reciprocation. It's a reciprocal love. I treat you this way because I expect you to treat me that way. And so they end up giving things to their kids and they say things to their kids and they do things for their kids and they, they serve and, and all of those gifts and all of those words and all of that service, all of it is admirable. But when it's powered by the selfishness of human love rather than the purity of God's love, then it becomes meaningless. It becomes something that's really, it, it's something we use the word love for, but it's not something that actually causes someone to experience the genuine love of e the eternal love that we, that we crave, that we long for. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis says, said that eternity has been, well, Scripture said that eternity has been written into our hearts. And C.S. Lewis kind of expounded on that by saying, if we hunger for something eternal, then there must be something eternal there to satisfy. My body is naturally inclined to take a breath. Take a big breath with me. I need that breath. Doesn't that feel good? Do it again. Our body is designed to do that, and you do that all the time without even thinking about it. The idea that our body is designed to breathe is an indication that there is something worth breathing, right? You've been designed for eternity and this craving that you have for something eternal, for something meaningful, for a relationship that's lasting, for a love that never ends, for a love that never fails, that craving that you have for it is, is evidence of the fact that that kind of love exists, Yet you're not going to find it in the child that you birthed. And you're not going to find it in the girl that you dated. And you're not going to find it in the job that you have or the things that you do or the wisdom that you think this world will be impressed by. Why? Well, because that's all built on a temporary, conditional, reciprocating kind of love. The kind of love that says, I'm doing this for you, so you do this for me. It's a quid pro quo. Because of this, that. Because of this, that. And it's the kind of love that eventually runs out because it's a kind of love that keeps score. Right? It's a kind of love. I, I, I'm just going to keep score. You said this, it, it hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back. You said this, it helped me, so I'm going to help you back. And we try to stay just kind of one step ahead in terms of how we share that love with people. It's another one of the conditions of love that I find interesting in the way culture approaches love. It's actually a devastating version of love. It's this idea that somehow our culture, human love, the world's love, will somehow at some level push to this idea that your love can't possibly be meaningful or real if it's not physical love. That at some point, somehow, your love is somehow diminished because you don't have, or you don't have the kind of relationship that leads to a physical, a sexual relationship. And that's such a skewed version and such a small version of what love really is. It's, it's that kind of belief that really limits our friendships. You ought to be able to have a deep, meaningful, and significant friendship a loving relationship with lots of people without it ever threatening your faithfulness to your spouse. You ought to be able to have friendships that are deep and meaningful and significant with someone who is your same gender without it ever crossing a line 
into something scripture says will hurt you. You ought to be able to do that. Yet the world will say that for love to be love, it's got to be physical. For love to be ultimate, it's got to be... But that's not what this says. Your greatest words, your greatest works, your greatest convictions, your greatest gifts, and your greatest sacrifice without a heavenly kind of love are always limited. And so I don't know what your particular experience is with people, but if people are your only experience with love, then I can assure you there is so much more to be experienced. There is so much more to be enjoyed. And it all starts when you open your eyes and your heart to who God is and what God has done for you. And then for those of us who are followers of Christ, who have received the mercies of his grace, who have experienced his salvation through his son and experienced the kind of love that died for us for no other reason but love, we ought to be the first to share his love with someone else. We ought to be the human people who share the God kind of love. We ought to be the ones who resist the idea that for love to be love, it has to be physical. It doesn't. For love to be love, it has to be, well, you know, you, got, you can't really have a loving friendship with people. That might threaten something. That might cause something. That might push us into spaces or places that we don't know. You don't have to do that because you can share with one another the kind of love that never fails. Let's look at something real quick. First John 4, 16 It says this, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Watch this, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I think that's awesome that it doesn't describe God as loving. It doesn't say, oh, God is loving. No, 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 it says God is love. Every interaction you have with him isn't just loving. He is love. He is the essence of that connection that happens. And so here's something that I hope you'll catch today. More than anything else, no matter what your experience with your own father was, no matter what your experience in relationships is, no matter the confusion that may have come because you've never experienced any kind of affection or any kind of kindness from someone who is the opposite gender, and so maybe you're driven towards a kind of affection that is really going to hurt you in the end because the world is telling you that in order for love to be love, it has to be physical and you couldn't possibly have a loving relationship with someone who's the same gender who, without it becoming sexual or physical, that because you've believed that idea and you've fallen into that, that lie, there's something that you've missed here. It's something that we've all missed here at some level and at some point. And it's, it's really simple. You are first loved. God loved you first. Remember John 3.16? Most everybody knows what that says. For God so Yeah, for God so loved, who did he love? For God so loved the, where do you live? The world. You are included in that. For God so loved the world. And then 1 John 4.19 says this. It says, we love because he first loved us. We can love God because God first loved us. Before you did anything right, God loved you. Before you did anything wrong, God loved you. After you did something uh, wrong, God still loves you. Every interaction you'll have with him today is is an action, it's it's an interaction of love. The fact that he brought you into this room this morning, 
I don't know how you got here. I don't know who invited you. I don't know why you chose to show up today. I'm so glad that you did because what a privilege it is to be able to be led in worship by someone like Jesus and the band. And what a privilege it is to be led in worship as we open God's word together. And what a privilege it is to be led in worship as later we go into our small groups to get to talk a little bit more about this God who loves us because he loved you first. And his bringing you here today is an act of love. And I hope that the words and the actions and the things that you experience here today are an act of love. We love our community in this place. And one of the things we've seen in our community is there are a growing number of people whose heart language in our community is a different language than English. It's Spanish. And so lovingly today, we had the privilege and the joy of singing in two different languages how beautiful is that? I don't speak Spanish, but man, uh, it didn't, uh, God didn't ask us to, to do anything more than make a joyful noise, right? So when I see the words in Spanish on the screen, I sing louder and I try harder and I butcher Spanish when I do that. But man, I'm trying <laughs> and I hope you'll try with me. And if you don't speak English, then when you see English on the, on the screen, sing it nice and strong and nice and loud. Let's make a joyful noise together and let's learn it together. Because God's done something remarkable in us and through us and maybe even in spite of us because he loved us first. He loved you first. And it's interesting to see the way he did that. Uh, when you think about God's love, he showed us his love first. You see it in Jesus' life. He, he selected the disciples. He healed people. He performed miracles. He showed people what his love was all about. He went to eat with tax collectors and sinners. He hung out with them, and he was so confident in God's love for him and his love for his heavenly Father. He was so confident that he could step into a world filled with sinful people and with the hurt of our sin and never once walk with the concern or the worry that somehow our sin would rub off on him. He walked with total confidence that the love that the father had for him and the love that he had for his father would not break his sinless nature. And he showed us what love looked like. And then he didn't just show us what love looked like. He told us, right? For God so loved the world. Jesus is the one who said that. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but would have everlasting life. He doesn't just show us. He doesn't just tell us. He empowers us. He fills us with his love. He fills us with his spirit so that we can be the ones who love others. Because God loved you first, you can be filled to the full with love for others. Now watch this. You can be the first to show love for others. You don't have to wait to reciprocate. You can be the first to initiate in every relationship you have, even with a complete stranger. You don't have to wait for them to be worth loving. You don't have to wait to reciprocate. You can be the first to initiate. Because he loved you first, you can love first. What, what does that mean? Well, let's look here. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, it says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let's look at verses 4 through 8 of, of 1 Corinthians real quick. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So watch this. If because you were loved first, then you can be the first to love based on 
1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, here's what you can do. You can be the first to be patient and kind. You can be the first to leave behind envy and boastfulness and arrogance and rudeness. You can be the first. But you don't know my mom, Chad. You had a great, you, you have a great mom who's shown you nothing but unconditional love your entire life. You don't know the experiences I've had. Great. I don't. You're right. You be the first. Stop waiting for her to be right. You go be right. Stop being the one who is envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Go be the other thing. You don't have to be. You can be the first to be selfless instead of selfish. You can be the first to grieve with those who grieve over the wrongs they've experienced. You can be the first to rejoice in the truth. You can be the first to endure the difficulties of other people's uh, faults and frailties and failures. You can be the first to do all of those things. You know, um, one of the things that I notice about being married is that I have some idiosyncrasies. <laughs> just some strange things that I do, just some moods that I have. And Londa, in all honesty, she puts up with a lot. And when we've talked about it, it's really funny. I get the sense, she's never said this out loud, but I get the sense that there were some things when we were dating that were just a little weird, little idiosyncrasies of mine that she found when we were dating charming. And now after 26 years of marriage, they're not charming anymore. <laughs> she's heard all of my jokes so many times she can tell them herself. And, and, yet, and yet, in spite of my idiosyncrasies and those things that she once found charming that might today be a little annoying, in spite of that, she chooses to love me first. You can do that. You can give that gift to someone. You can be the first to offer hope to the help, hopeless and help to the hurting. Because you're first loved, you can be the first to love. You can do that. And so really, there's only two questions on the table today. The first one is for all of us. Who do you need to love better today? Not in the world's way, not in the worldly sense. But, but according to this list, who do you need to be the first? Instead of waiting for them, who do you need to be the first to be patient with and kind with? Who do you need to initiate a conversation with? Well, they haven't talked to me in six years. Okay, what are you waiting for? It takes two to talk, right? Well, they were the ones who were wrong. They need to ask me for forgiveness. Why? Jesus died on the cross for you long before you asked for a thing. You were loved first. You can be the first to love. Who do you need to love first today? That, that'd be the first question. And then there's a second question. Some of you haven't really ever received that love that God has given you. He gave it through his son. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So today, maybe the only thing you know is the world's love. Maybe that's the only thing you understand because you've never experienced or received anything else. Well, today you can. Just simply surrender 
to the love that he has for you. Simply give yourself to him and say, Father, I love you the way you loved me. I don't know how to do that, but I sure hope you'll teach me. I know that I've done wrong things. Please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my life and save me forever. That is the gospel. That's the good news. And there's people here today, I think, that need to place their faith in Christ and need to receive the love that he has to give. So I'm gonna pray together. I'm gonna pray with us. And after we pray, we're gonna stand together. We're gonna sing. And as we sing, if you need to do some business with God, whether you need to go talk to someone because there's someone you need to love better or whether you need to place your faith in Christ, this altar will be open. You could leave the room and make a phone call. You could pray right where you are. If you want to know what it means to be a follower of Christ, Misael and I will be down here. We'll be down front. We could talk to you. Jonathan will be here. We'd be glad to talk to you before, after, whatever the moment is. But, but use this song as an opportunity to evaluate the quality of your love. Have you limited your love to something earthly? Or can you be the one to initiate rather than reciprocate? Let's pray together. Father, today, Dear Jesus, please let someone today experience your love in a way like they never have before. I'm so thankful that you are love. And in this moment, you are drawing all of us to yourself. And for some of us, it means we need to place our faith in you, that we need to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, that we need to simply surrender to the love that you've shown us. And so I pray that those people in this room that are like that, that they would do that today, that you would draw them and call them to yourself and that they would surrender. And Father, for those of us who are in this room today who are believers, Father, help us to be the ones who love first because you loved us first. Help us to be the ones to first show patience and kindness and and tenderness and generosity. Let us be the ones to first, Father, let us not be the ones to wait for someone to show up. Help us to be the ones to go and to give. We love you, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.